0: Well, they say everything is bigger in Texas, and we certainly found that to be true. We just recently got back from a trip to New Braunfels, the home of the next Compass Bible Church. Woohoo! All right. And when we went out there, my husband texted the pastor and said, okay, so what should we not miss? What do we have to do while we're out here in New Braunfels, Texas? And the suggestions started rolling in, and of course, you know, the standard stuff. One was like, okay, go to this little quaint shopping center, and then make sure that you have lunch at this restaurant, and it'll be like you're eating at a treehouse. Okay, we did that. Go to the center of town where there's this gigantic park, and there's a river that meanders through it, and people are Tubing and playing miniature golf and fishing—we did that, okay. And then drive the downtown area and see the city hall and the high school and the and the new construction, right? All pretty standard stuff. But then there was one suggestion that I have to say that I I, I was scratching my head a bit and I thought, well, are the pastors just punking us or what? I mean, like, <laughs> what's happening here? Because Pastor Hayden said you have to go visit Bucky's. He says, it is the largest convenience store on the planet. The largest gas station convenience store on the planet. I was like, what? I mean, like, what in the world? Why would Pastor Hayden have us tour a gas station? And I mean, if this is their claim to fame, maybe we need to rethink the location of our next church plant. Or maybe we don't, because if that's their claim to fame, maybe they need a lampstand more than ever, if that's their biggest. Claim to fame. Well, Mike decided to take the local knowledge there for what it was and go take the fam to Bucky's. It sounded like a commercial take the fam to Bucky's. So, uh, got us all going there, and I have to confess to you that I completely forgot where we were going. I- I didn't give it another thought. I'm looking at my phone, I'm doing texts and emails, until we stopped at the pump there, and you know, I saw the1.61 uh, a gallon of gas, the pump. Um, and I just thought we were filling up. Right? We just need some gas. It wasn't until I stepped out of the car that I realized you know, that everything's bigger in Texas really takes on a whole new meaning. Because, yes, it's a gas station. But oh, so much more. Because I I just think of the, the, what is it, Chevron? I'm trying to think. Is it that way? Yes, the Chevron that is that way. How many pumps does it have? I don't know, 24, 30 maybe, at the most 30. There are 120 gas pumps at Bucky's in New Braunfels. That's a lot of gas, right? And it's standing next to a convenience store that has 68,000 square feet of space. Now you're like, I mean, unless you're into real estate, I have no idea what 68,000 square feet is. Okay, I shop at Stater Brothers. Some of you do too, I see you sometimes there. It would take one and a half of my Stater Brothers on La Paz to fit inside that Bucky's gas station convenience store. One and a half of my grocery store. Or, okay, you Costco shoppers, imagine yourself walking into Costco and drawing a line halfway through it. Half of our Costco is how big Bucky's was. I mean, I counted over 20 ice, well, not machines, but you know, those ice boxes that have all kinds of bags of ice in them. I I counted over 20 just along the whole front of the store. This thing is gigantic. Anyway, you walk in the store and the very first thing that you come to is the grilling section. Now this is no joke, the grilling section. There are hundreds of packages and jars of sauces, rubs and spices for your grilling pleasure. There is also a whole display with multiple barbecue grills in the gas station convenience store for sale because you're going to go to the gas station to buy your next barbecue. and there's all kinds of other gadgets then you move to the next section and the next session is aisle upon aisle upon aisle of snacks and candy i mean just row after row aisle after aisle fire and then you end up with these jars of like pickled well everything and this kind of special butter i mean apple butter i know but there's like you know ginger cranberry apple butter whatever all kinds of jars of that kind of thing after that you get the 80 fountain drink dispensers <laughs> along the wall 80 80 880 okay there is a f- cook to order restaurant a farmers market a gourmet fudge shop a fresh jerky counter that has 20 varieties of the stuff for you to purchase and then there's a pre-made sandwich station and on the pre-made sandwich station in the morning they have breakfast tacos but then all the rest of the time they have brisket and barbecue sandwiches right And they're just sitting there for you to just grab one. And I'm not too proud to tell you that for the first time ever as a native Californian and well, to the rest of the world, we're kind of snobby South Orange County people. I ate my first meal from a gas station in Texas this year. (laughs) I had to have one of those breakfast tacos. They were, they kept calling breakfast tacos, breakfast. I never heard of a breakfast taco. What in the world is a breakfast taco? Okay, let me just clue you in. It's a breakfast burrito, except it's a lot smaller and folded well, not folded, frankly, I was gonna say folded differently, but frankly, it's not folded. I'll take a breakfast burrito any day. We have them beat on that front. And uh, after that, after you go by that station, then you have the full-blown Magnolia kind of gift shop. And I know because we went there to the silos, yes. I was talked into it, no, I'm just kidding. But I went there. And you should have seen the guys. Oh, man, this was not their favorite day. But anyway, (laughs) the seven of us trudged to the silos. You get to pass this gift shop, and you get to a place where you get everything you might want to go in the river because they've got a couple of rivers there. So they have all this water gear, including... Remarkably, rainbow sandals from San Clemente, California, for sale at the Bucky's Gas Station convenience store. And uh, then you get to the far corner, which is the Hunter's Paradise. I mean, camo everything belts, vests, knives. If you're going to go hunting, I guess you go to Bucky's first. So, um, and all throughout the store, everywhere, on every end cap, in big sections, there is Bucky's merchandise. Bucky's face is on everything. I mean, cups, t-shirts, stickers, coolers, anything in the world you could think of. I mean, they're marketing geniuses, and there's Bucky's merchandise there. But in the center of it all, you find the piece de resistance, because you're at a gas station convenience store, ladies. In the center of it all, you have what Bucky's is actually known the world over for. You have the cleanest public restrooms on the planet. They have 83 toilets there. <laughs> That's a lot of toilets. And they have a crew that works 24-7, 365 days a year to make sure that that is well-stocked and clean whenever you need it. It truly is a remarkable place, I have to say. I was like, wow, Pastor Hayden, good call. And uh, <laughs> believe it or not, as I was studying First John this week, um, I thought about our trip to Bucky's. You know why? Because Bucky's defies description. And I hope that you got the thrust from the Apostle John, because I'll tell, you else, I'll tell you what else defies description, and that is that Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, came to Earth for us. It's amazing. It's astonishing that that the Almighty God came to Earth. To meet our need, to give us exactly what we need, to bring us the amazing salvation we're going to talk about all morning long. And John basically is going to shout at us, this is remarkable, it's amazing, don't miss it. It's so important to see. And to kind of get, let's just be frank here, to kind of get excited again about Jesus coming to earth. And about the amazing salvation that he brought us. I mean, we get excited about a lot of things, ladies. Not the least of which is when we walk up to each other and look at my new blouse. I got it for $5.99 at the TJ Maxx clearance rack, right? We get all excited about this great deal. Two weeks ago, all we could talk about was the heat wave. (gasps) I've never known it to be so hot. It's so hot, right? Or the viral video that you like. Or your kid's going back to school. We're all so excited about various things. Even the new iOS update and the big widgets on your home screens, right? We get excited about a lot of stuff. It's time for us to get a little bit more excited again about Jesus coming to earth to provide for us. So I want you to ponder today anew that God came to see us especially those of us who have known him longer I'd like to ask you not to assume that you know everything about him or assume that you've got this all covered like I did when Pastor Hayden said go visit a gas station I thought I knew where we were going I didn't I also ask you not to be distracted about what's coming after this or what you have tonight or what's on your grocery list. Like I was with my phone, I had my phone in front of my face as we were driving into this amazing place and I, I missed the entrance because I was so distracted. I'd ask you even right now, just in this second, to shoot a prayer up to the Lord and say, help me to see how amazing your salvation is again. Help me to remember what you did for me today. John doesn't give us any instructions. I don't know if when you were studying it, you were like, what? Where are we going with this? And what is she going to say? Yeah, I thought that too a couple times. But uh, we don't get like a walk in the light or confess your sin or anything like that. Instead, we get John explaining his heart and his experiences because he wants to pump us up to remember just how amazing our salvation is. So let's look at it again, or again, anew, afresh today. And we are writing these things so that your, our joy, excuse me, may be complete. The God who lived in heaven left it all behind to be a human. That means we need to marvel at his incarnation. That's point number one. We need to marvel at the incarnation. We need to marvel at the incarnation. God left heaven and came to earth. Let's marvel at the incarnation. Now incarnation just means putting flesh on, carne asada, flesh God became human. And um, if you've been around the church for a while, I bet when you looked at First John 1, I bet one of your first thoughts was the gospel of John chapter one, because they're very similar. Let me read it to you. The gospel of John chapter one says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. Both John and 1 John are talking about Jesus, the Word of God, who lived with the Father in eternity past and uh, who then came to earth at this point in time. The Bible makes it clear, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they lived together forever. Before the clock started ticking and time began and creation happened, they were existing perfectly in fellowship together in the Godhead. They even worked on creation. Together, When we read Genesis, we can see hints of that. And then the New Testament, it tells us that Jesus was there. Jesus confirms that he was alive before he showed up here in flesh in a place, in various places. But one of them is John 8, 58, where he says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He's trying to say, I live before Abraham. And the I am actually was a sign or a signal that he was talking about eternal, the eternal God. Before Abraham was, I am. So he pre-existed his time on earth. Well, in 1 John 1, verse 1, our passage begins like this. That which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's reminding us with the senses here that Jesus was flesh and blood. He had real eyebrows, ears, toes, elbow, elbows, right? He had all those things. He was actual flesh, just like we are. And he's going to use the senses here to push that in our minds. He says, people heard him. That's where he starts. Yes, the bones in their ears vibrated, but think about what they heard. They heard God. They heard God pray. They heard him preach. They heard him give instructions. Can you imagine hearing him like they got to hear him. And it wasn't just that they took it in, it's that it made an impact on them. John 7, 46 says of Jesus, no one ever spoke like this man. Wow, to hear him. We blow past, it. oh, they yeah, heard him. To hear him would be amazing. Then it also says he saw him. The rods and the cones in his eyeball actually took in data. But let's think about what he saw. He saw him call a guy who was one of the worst sinners, Zacchaeus. He called him down from the tree and he said, salvation's going to come to your house today. He saved some guy that, frankly, didn't deserve it. Not that any of us do, but he saw that. He saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with somebody's sack lunch. Just imagine, he took the sack lunch out, he takes the little pieces of bread, which are probably small loaves, and he broke it, and he handed it, and he broke it, and he handed it, and he broke it, and he he handed it. And they watched Jesus do that. And yeah, we say 5,000, but that was probably men. With women and children, it was more like 10,000. With somebody's sack lunch, they saw him do that. And what to me always blows my mind is, there were more leftovers than what they started with. Which I just think that's so sweet of God. You know, and how much does he provide for us? That just reminds me of that. They also saw Peter's mother-in-law. She's laying there, she has a fever, she doesn't feel good. They saw him walk over to Peter's mother-in-law, take her by the hand, have her sit up and walk away and be fine and make them dinner because she was fine in an instant. Those are the kinds of things that they saw. They even saw Jesus walk on water not on a dock, not on a bunch of reeds like the History Channel will tell you. Well, it was a sea that was full of reeds. So he was really walking on plants. No, he was walking on water. These are the things he saw. I just want you to remember what he saw. And the seeing isn't just taking in information that seeing and looking at, it's more than that. It it means actually to gaze upon in order to get understanding. They saw those things, but it brought about understanding of who he was. Finally, it says they touched him. And it isn't just brushing up against somebody, like, oops, I I hit you, whatever, I accidentally nudged you. This is the word for groping, like a blind man would be trying to feel his way along, groping for something. Or even having something put in your hand so that you could closely examine it. look at it really closely, that's this word for touching. He's using all these senses to remind us this actually happened. I saw it, I heard it, I touched it. It actually happened. It was not a vision. It's not a delusion. It was not a ghost. It was a real person, and it happened. John was an eyewitness, but he wasn't the only one, of course. There were many, uh, the 12. Peter was another of them, and I want you to listen to what Peter said about his eyewitness account. In 2 Peter 1.16, Peter writes this. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter actually saw him just like John did. Jesus confirms himself that he was flesh and blood in Luke twenty-four thirty-nine. This is after his resurrection, but he says to the disciples, see my hands and my feet. It is I myself, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And you might say, well, that was after his resurrection. Yeah, it was. And they were trying to say, look, I'm the same guy. I have flesh and blood just like I did before. That's what he's trying to say. He was a real person. John was so impacted by the seeing and the hearing and the touching of Jesus that he writes this letter to us. 60 years after it happened. Can you imagine being so excited about something that you're willing to write about it the way he does here? 60 years later, some of us, well, I'm almost there, but 60 years, thinking back, 60 years and being excited about it like he is. It's pretty amazing. This made a huge impact on John's life because the God-man showed up. Now, at the time, there was some critics that were scoffing and mocking the early disciples, and their problem was that they, um, they believed in all kinds of different gods, okay? They didn't believe that God became human. They didn't believe that God took on flesh and bone. Now, we have scoffers and mockers too, although Most people that we're interacting with, they're not concerned that Jesus wasn't a real human. Actually, they believe that he was only a human, right? I mean, it's hard to dispute all the historical documentation of a real person named Jesus who walked around on the planet. So most people aren't going to have that problem with us, but they're going to have a problem with the God part of it, the fact that he was God, fully God and fully man at the same time. And I think that's why God had those who actually saw and heard and touched him write the New Testament for us. You realize every book of the New Testament was written by an eyewitness or someone who collaborated closely with an eyewitness. Every book, every book you've got. Eyewitnesses has always been important to the people of God. Even back in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 19, 15, it said no one could be convicted of a crime unless there was the word of more than one person. And we appreciate that too. And we value eyewitnesses as, as well. We want to know who else saw this and what was the rest of the story. And we want another person to tell us about it, not just one. We'd like multiple witnesses when we're going to make a decision. And I think it's one of the reasons that God gave us so many. I mean, there, there was nothing that said we had to have 12 apostles. Why do we have 12? Why not four? Why not eight? Why not 10? Why 12? Well, I think God was being gracious to us and giving us more and more eyewitnesses. And of course, the Bible says that hundreds of people, in fact, saw him after his resurrection, but thousands of people saw him doing his ministry. We have tons of eyewitnesses. And when it was time to replace Judas, eyewitness testimony was so important. Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus and then committed suicide. In Acts 1.22, the disciples said, the 12th one, the guy who joins our team, He has to have been with us since the baptism of John until the day he was taken up. In other words, he has to be someone who walked with us from, remember Stephanie told us last week that John saw the baptism and then went with Jesus, remember that? And one of the first things Jesus does is get baptized by John. The 12 had to have been there from the time he was baptized until he ascended to heaven. Eyewitnesses. Now, Jesus, he didn't just come to hang out with them so that they could say, I've touched, heard, and seen this guy. It says in the verse, verse 1, that he was the word of life. And we, of course, know that he came to bring us life. He came to bring us life by living the perfect life with 100% righteousness for us so that we would have that to put in our account with God. He also came to die for us, right? To have the wrath of God satisfied for our sin in his body. So he came to bring us life in those ways, to live for us and to die for us. And someday he's going to bring us ultimate life, right? Because someday he's going to take us to be with him. And we're going to have to live in a perfect place with a perfect life next to him forever. But until that day, how exciting is it? Just think about how exciting it is that the book of Hebrews says as we live in this planet, yeah, we want to we be over there, but as we live here, we had a merciful and faithful high priest who knows what it is to be a human being. He has felt what we feel. He has been tempted like we are tempted. And he understands us because he actually walked around like we do. What an amazing gift that God became man. Something we could marvel at a little tiny bit more, don't you think? It reminds me of something I found on my phone after we left Bucky's. Someone in the family decided they wanted to take a video. So they started scanning the store. And at a certain point, another family member pops into the screen. And this is what they said. I don't, where are we? I I don't even know where we are. And you could see the awe and the wonder all over their face. Like, whoa, where are we? I think we could pump that up a little bit more. That awe and wonder that Jesus came to earth for us. So I've got a couple suggestions for you. The first way I think we could pump that up is to remember who he really is. Remember who he really is. I've just got two on this one, two applications. Remember who he really is. Now, uh, we think of him as the guy who walked the Sea of Galilee and broiled fish, but I want you to remember who he really is. And John, the apostle who wrote our book, wrote Revelation also, and in verse 9, excuse me, chapter 19, verse 11 to 13, Revelation 19: 11 to 13, the writer of our letter, Jesus' best friend on the planet that he reclined on, wrote this about the guy that he used to eat dinner with.) Huh. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse, and one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and he makes war, and his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns. He has a name written that no one knows but himself, and he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. That's who he was. That's who he is today. That's who he'll be forevermore. Remember who he really is. If you want to pump up your marveling. Even if it's just in your quiet time, you in the morning, you make sure that as you go to him in prayer, you just take a moment to think about who you're actually speaking to. That's this, this man, that was this God that was just described. Another way I think we can pump up our marveling is to revisit how he saved us. Revisit how he saved us. Because if you take a minute just to think about who you are, and that the God who we just read about in Revelation knows us, I think it makes us go, whoa, thank you so much, God. Who am I? Who am I that you would reach out to me and save me? So let's marvel at the incarnation. Let's pull a little Fabara's family move at Bucky's and stand in awe of them a little bit more than we did last week, okay? Well, John is pretty blown away, as we can tell, at the fact that God walked the planet with him. Um, but he clearly has a task in mind as we move to verses two and three. And it's a task that he's gonna want us to pick up and emulate as well. Verse two and three, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you. Well, hopefully the words testify and proclaim and proclaim clue you in. But obviously, John was out sharing. That's even what he's doing in this letter. He was out sharing about how amazing God was, which puts us in point number two. We need to talk more, talk more about your salvation. Talk more about your salvation. He came to earth. He gave us this amazing salvation. Let's talk more about your salvation. Salvation is so amazing, we need to start talking about it. And John did it because he was so excited about it. But also, John did it because God told him to do it, even in places right here. And he's going to tell us to do it. You see, when people saw what Jesus was doing, all the different things I was describing to you earlier, when they saw Jesus walking on the water or healing Peter's mother-in-law, whatever the situation, they began to talk about it. They began to testify to it, to use the word from our passage. The word testify simply means to share what you've seen and heard. Just share what you've seen and heard. It's what witnesses do in a courtroom every day. They don't want, the the lawyers do not want to know what you think. (laughs) They only want to know what you saw and what you heard when you testify. Now, you and I, we don't have the luxury of actually walking and talking with Jesus, right? Bummer. But he has made an impact on our life. He has come into our lives and changed our lives and done things in our hearts and our lives that weren't there before, which means we do have something to talk about because we can talk about what we have seen and heard in our relationship with God. And that means everyone in here, everyone who knows Jesus Christ and truly follows after him has a story to tell. You all have a way to testify of what you have seen and heard. Verse two continues and it says, we proclaim to you this eternal life. Now proclaim sounds a lot like testify, but it is a little bit different. There's more to it than that because to proclaim means you've been given a commission. You've been given a directive. Um, You're being told now to say it. It's now a responsibility It's not just something that happens spontaneously, it's now your responsibility to share this information. Jesus gave it to John, John gave it to us. Jesus came to earth, go tell people. Compel them to do something with what you share about what you've seen and heard about Jesus. It says, back in verse two, we proclaim to you eternal life. Now eternal life, of course, means life without end. If you've been at Compass for a while, I know you're well taught, and you understand that literally, really, everybody gets eternal life. Everyone's going to live forever. It's just a matter of where. What's your address going to be on the other side? Will you live in the New Jerusalem with Jesus, or will you live in outer darkness without him? But, of course, we want to proclaim to them the eternal life that is Living with God, with perfect bodies, in a perfect place, for all eternity. The eternal life that we want them to gain is forgiveness forever. And not to have to pay for their own sin. And of course, it's obviously better. Um, Eternal life is better than anything we know here, right? Even the best life here is, uh, that is so much better And even though Jesus joyfully and willingly, because he did joyfully and willingly, left heaven to come here, don't think for a second that he wasn't yearning to get back to his home in heaven, to be with his father. He was. He was yearning for that day. And uh, it's something I think we need to yearn for too. Yes, eternal life is a message we give other people, but it should also be a motivation for us because... We're going to be going to that place. And wouldn't you rather get there sooner than later? The more we talk about this, the more we compel people, the more people get in the bus with us, the faster we get there. I know it's hard to share this eternal life with people. And sometimes we get discouraged about that. We're like, especially it seems in this day and age. um, People just aren't very excited, some of them, to hear. Although that's not always true. I met someone last night who just became a Christian recently because of the ministry of this church. So there are people that want to hear it. But sometimes when they don't want to hear it, we get discouraged. I want to remind you of what Jesus said to us in John 14, 1 to 3. He said, let not your hearts be troubled, even when people reject your gospel, Okay let not your heart be troubled believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so would I have told you I go to a place to prepare a place for you if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am you may be also praise God ladies that that is the eternal life waiting for us but let that motivate you to proclaim that eternal life to others and get more people with us on the other side Talk about your salvation more. Well, I can tell you, we for bars is we did a lot of talking about our Bucky's experience. You see, when we walked into Bucky's that day, uh, all of a sudden the seven of us just fanned out all across the, you know, because like someone's like, ooh, look at this. And then someone else was like, wait, what, this over here is so awesome. And, and then someone else was like, wait, no, I, I wanna see this thing, okay? Well, without any coordination on our part. All of a sudden, our family thread was just going crazy. Boop, bloop, 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 Because everybody was texting each other, wait, did you see this? I saw that, they have this. Texts, pictures, it was flying across the store as we all spread out everywhere. We could not help talking about it. And then very, very quickly, those texts and pictures, they all started coming home. Right? Friends and family back here, some of you even in this, in this room were getting texts from me, dude, they have a blah, 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 whatever. I just ate a breakfast taco. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we were so excited, we couldn't stop talking about it. And guess what? Nobody had to give us any instructions on what to share and how to share it or which elements to include in our sharing. You know what else? Nobody even had to tell us or convince us to share it. It was so amazing that it all just came out organically. (sighs) Maybe we need to do a little bit more to pump up our conversations about the amazing God and salvation that we have, right? Because maybe, You, like me, do not have those words just falling out of your mouth quite as easily when it comes to the gospel, right? Well, I have three suggestions to help you talk more about your salvation. The first is figure out your story. You want to talk more about your salvation, you better figure out your story. This was all about eyewitness testimony, right? Right? John was an eyewitness and he's telling you about it. We said in the last point, that's a way to appreciate and marvel. But now I wanna say, prepare your testimony, what you will testify, that's your story. We already discussed it a little bit, telling what happened, what you have seen and heard with Jesus. And it's basic. just three basic things. What was your life like before you became a Christian? What happened during the point where you became a Christian? What verse did someone share with you? Who was it? What was happening in your life? What what was happening the during? And then how is your life different afterwards? Now, some of you have done this before, that's great. Maybe it's time to just refresh your mind on that because I want it to be on the tip of your tongue. I don't want it to be in your partner's manual that you wrote out six years ago. Think through those three things. If you've never done that before, and you're a real Christian, you definitely need to think through these three things. Make it the five to 10 minute version, not the hour and a half version. And then just start saying it. Just start saying it with Christians and non-Christians alike. Christians would be so excited. If you're at your next lunch date, you weren't talking about the new widgets on the iOS update. If you were saying, hey, we've never talked about how we became Christians. Tell me your story. How awesome and exciting would that be? And how would that easily get you talking about your salvation? You practice with them, I'll tell you, it's way easier with your next door neighbor if you've just said it to someone else. Okay? The next thing you need to do, along with the line of proclaim, which we talked about, was learn the elements. Learn the elements of the gospel. This is the second one. Learn the elements of the gospel. The elements of the gospel, things like, because we're sinful, we're separated from a holy God. Um, Things like, Because he died on the cross, God's wrath has been satisfied. Things like, I can be forgiven if I turn from my sin and trust in Christ. I just gave you the gospel in three sentences. Now, obviously, you're going to need a way more, you know, potentially with your next door neighbor or your mother-in-law or whatever. You're going to need a lot more than that. So I would say, go to sharetheumbrella.com. I know some of you are like, "Uh, I know that, I know that. Okay, if I handed you a piece of paper right now, and I brought you right up here, you ready to share it? Okay, go to sharetheumbrella.com. I do it even when I know, when I know I'm gonna be put on the spot, I know I'm gonna go share the gospel with someone, I go to sharetheumbrella.com. And what I do is I turn on play, I listen for a few seconds, then I turn it off, and I try to say, blah, 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 whatever is just said. And then I go, oh, no, that was wrong. I totally got myself in a hole. Back up, okay, play. All right, stop. Okay. Da, 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 da. Right? And then I go on and I practice the next part and I practice the next part and I brush up on. I know the gospel. I just gave it two and three sentences, but I need a lot, maybe more verses and potential information to try to help someone who doesn't know about Christ to get there. So learn the elements of the gospel and brush up on it. And then, third, of course, we need to pray. I think if we prayed, more that we would love the lost. I don't think there's any way you could keep our mouths shut about the gospel. If we really loved the lost and thought about where they were going, it would organically and spontaneously fall out of our mouths like it did for us at Bucky's. It just would happen. Pray for your love for the lost. Pray for opportunities, obviously, for open doors, all those things, but pray, pray, pray. All these things are gonna help you start talking about your salvation more. All right, so John, he's walking around, he's amazed at Jesus, he's talking about it, uh, but why is it so important? Well, our passage is interesting because it it really is crescendoing to verse 3 and 4. So I'm gonna make you go back and we're gonna start at verse one and we're gonna read the whole thing. It's almost like God is playing one long note and it's getting louder and louder and it's crescendoing to verses three and four. So we gotta make sure we catch this. It was a weird passage, you admit, right? It was a weird passage. Let's go back and get it all together. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. We have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. Okay, he said, at Jesus. He says, tell everybody, so that, did you see it in verse 3 and 4? So that they will have fellowship with us, our fellowship with the Father and the Son, and so that our joy may be complete. Huh. John wants, what John wants most, and why he's written this, is so that everyone will get a relationship with God. That's what he wants more than anything, for people to become real Christians and have a relationship with God. God. That's why we marvel. That's why we talk. So people can have a relationship with God. And it's not just about forgiveness either. He's talking here about the connection, the closeness, the love, the relationship that we get to have with the God of the universe. Now, the Father and the Son are mentioned here, of course, but they're in heaven. You're well taught at Compass Bible Church. The Spirit is actually our boots on the ground, person of the Godhead who's with us, strengthening, encouraging, equipping, convicting, motivating, keeping us safe. He isn't mentioned here, but he is the one that we have this partnership with all the time. This closer than close relationship is with him. Because you know, really, one of the best parts, if you really think about it, one of the best parts of becoming a Christian is that you get to be a child of God. I mean, come on. Yeah, we want to live forever with him. That's so great. But how sweet is it that now God is our father and We're all siblings. That is sweet. That is what John is saying here. He says, having these relationships in verse four uh, with God and others will bring about the thing that is the best of all, and that is joy. Real, lasting happiness from now through eternity. So John wants us to marvel. John wants us to talk. And point three, John wants us to get happy about our spiritual family. Get happy about our spiritual family family. You've got a father and you've got a whole bunch of siblings that you didn't have before. We need to get happy about our spiritual family. And of course the connection we share with each other is because of Jesus. Because Jesus brings us together, because Jesus is our purpose, because we live to please him. It's not because we're on the same soccer team or we both shop at Stater Brothers. It's because Jesus is the center of that connection and that sweetness that we share. And very few people on the planet, if you really think it, very few people ever get to experience the sweetness of that. The gate is narrow, the Bible says. Few are those who find it. John doesn't want you to miss the sweetness of a relationship with God and a relationship with each other while you're on this planet. The passage uses the word fellowship which is the word koinonia. If you've uh, been around the church a while, a lot of youth groups used to be called this koinonia, or it's koinonia time, or the koinonia hall at your church, whatever. Koinonia, but basically koinonia means having things in common. It means being one. It means community. This one made me laugh. It literally means eating out of the same bowl pre COVID days, of course, I guess you can do that with your herd, right? (laughs) But it's like being closer than close so that you'd go, oh man, I need a drink of water. Can I have some for your water bottle? That is how close and how sweet our relationship should be with our siblings, that I'm ready to take your water bottle and drink out of it. I'm so close to you. Wow, (laughs) that's close. The connection that we have with God is so sweet and so close. Um, And John describes it in, actually, Jesus describes it in John 14. That's the gospel of John. John 14, 23. This is how Jesus describes it, and I think it's so sweet. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Obviously. If you love me, you're going to do what I say. Okay? That's being a Christian, right? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him. And we will make our home with him. (laughs) We get that kind of relationship with God the Father? I hope you're amazed by your salvation a little bit more than when you walked in this morning. You got that kind of relationship with God the Father. Closer than close. He's going to come and live with you. He loves you that much. It's a sweet blessing. But our siblings on earth they're they're a close second. Okay, they're not as good as God the Father, I get it. But they're a close second, and they are also a cause for great joy in our lives. And like I said earlier, this obviously revolves around the common experience we have with Jesus, him as the center, him as our purpose. The classic passage which you might have thought of as you were studying is Acts 4 for this, the kind of fellowship and relationship we have with each other. Um, These people in Acts 4, they didn't just relate to one another spiritually, but they were completely enmeshed in each other's lives. They were uh, part of each other's lives not just spiritually, but emotionally and physically, too. Verse 32 in that passage says that they were one in heart and soul. Verse 33 says that their time together revolved around the Bible and studying the Bible. Verse 34 to 37 describes just how much they shared with one another physically and how people were selling things and giving to anybody whose needs so that everybody had all that they could supply to one another. They were so close. They were like that Philippians 2 passage, which you know well, I know, the very beginning of Philippians 1 to 4, that's where it talks about they were of the same mind, doing nothing from selfishness, but thinking of others as more important than themselves. That's what we have with each other. John says we, he wants those relationships to bring us joy and happiness. That's complete, that's fulfilling, that's satisfying. But today in our lives, there's so much yucky stuff, right? I mean, we're most of the time thinking about what Christians are having to endure, not how Christians have it so good. Um, But I wanna take just a minute to run through some passages. I'm gonna do it quick, but I'm gonna run through some passages of reminders of the joy that surrounded Jesus' time on earth, okay? The first is when the angels told the shepherds, "Fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy." That's in Luke 2:10. The wise men, they saw the star in the sky in Matthew 2:10, and it says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. When the 72 went out to share the gospel in Luke 10:17, they returned back to him with joy, it says. The angels told the women, Jesus isn't dead at the tomb. And they departed quickly with fear and great joy, Matthew 28, 8 says. In Luke twenty-four fifty-two, Jesus was ascending to heaven and the disciples worshiped him. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy, the Bible says. And then the New Testament writers, they talk about our relationship as Christians with God, and they talk about joy in our life quite a bit. Here's one example. Matthew 13, likens our relationship with God to a man who found a treasure out in a field. He uncovered it, and then he was like, whoa! So he covered it back up, and it says, because of his joy, he went and sold everything he had so that he could purchase that field. John 15, 11, Jesus, this is the vine and the branches thing. He's the vine, we are the branches. He says, when we stay connected to him, his joy will be in us and our joy will be full. John 16, 24 says, when we pray and God answers us, our joy will be full. Luke 6, 23 says, even when we're persecuted, we rejoice and we leap for joy because our reward is great in heaven. Romans fifteen thirty two says, we have joy and refreshment as we spend time with other Christians. And the last one I'm gonna share is John the Apostle. We're gonna to get to this one, 3 John 4. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, and by the way, those are not biological children, although they could be. They're disciples, they're followers of Jesus Christ. I have no greater joy than to hear that these disciples of mine are walking in the truth. In other words, when people become Christians, we get happy and we have joy. See, there is joy to be found here. Yes, of course, joy on the other side is going to be so much better because there's going to be Jesus there, right? And I was going to say, Matthew, I wasn't looking for Jesus' name on my notes. In Psalm 1611 is what I want to share with you. It says, in his presence there is fullness of joy, and at his right hand there are pleasures forever. Of course, our joy is going to be greater over there when we're not on this broken planet. But God proved to us by all these examples that we're, still allowed and and it's still okay and we will still have joy this side of heaven because of the relationship we have with God and with each other right both so how can we stop being the Debbie Downer I'm sorry her name is Debbie I had two Debbies come up to me last night but I didn't want Downer Dorothy Downer I don't know Downer Debbie sorry I love you Debbies you're not all Downers but Downer Debbie, you don't wanna be her in your small group. So what can we do to pump up our happiness, okay, over the spiritual family that we have? I have two suggestions for you. First is stay close to God, stay close to God. this reminds me of that passage in John 15. Pastor PJ preached it so marvelously for us out on the courtyard this summer. And it's the where the vine and the branches thing is the picture there. And I already quoted to you John 15, 11. But Pastor PJ, he likened this connection you have with God to that faulty computer that Amanda had, right, in college. And you had to have it plugged into the charging cord because that's the only way it would work remember that picture? Okay, that's how we need to stay plugged into God, because that's how our joy and our happiness is going to be, if we are plugged into God. He is the source of information and encouragement on the planet. We need to continually stay plugged into. It means you got to have your quiet time. you got to. I mean, I know you probably had it today, right? You're coming to Bible study. But every day, we have to do that every day, and we have to study and pray and all that. And when we fall we mess up we sin we're going to have to make things right quickly because the relationship if you want to stay close to God if there's something between you you're not going to have that joy so you got to be quick to confess we're going to get to that next week's lesson you got to be quick to confess if you fail the second thing besides staying close to God is to stay connected with each other if you're here yay you're staying connected with each other of course I think one of the worst things that COVID has done to us is separate us Uh, I'm I'm sure that was part of Satan's plan. Let's just keep them apart. Um, So I would say connect with each other as much as you can. I know some people are in a high-risk demographic. I know some people um, have been exposed to the virus, and of course we're not saying do something that you shouldn't. But stay as connected as you can. I, for one, I'll Zoom. I'll stay six feet away. I'll wear a mask. I won't touch you. Whatever. I love you. I just want to stay connected. You know, and I think we all just should stay connected, no matter what our sisters need to make that connection. Do we love each other enough to not divide over that and do whatever we can to stay connected? Even if it's a text, a phone call, let's stay connected. Hmm. Find out what's happening in each other's lives. Meet needs. Pray for each other. There's a brand new uh, revised prayer journal in the bookstore. Go get one. Use PrayerMate, Echo, write in a journal, do a Word doc. But when you find out people's needs, pray for them, connect with them, invest in them. Don't let COVID keep you from that, even you that are watching on stream. We will connect with you no matter how. We have to. Well, all this joyful goodness with God and with his people, of course, reminds me again of my trip to Bucky's. Because what happened was not only were we like talking and texting with each other, but I Facebooked a couple pictures way back then in August. I mean instantaneously almost, I was inundated with responses. And the fellowship and all the new family members I had because of my description of Bucky's, I was like, I've been there, (gasps) did you try this? (gasps) That's great, (gasps) go here, right? The fellowship and the chuckling and all of that that we shared, it was instantaneous. The love was flowing, not just among the seven of us, but I had a whole bunch of new family members because we were talking about it and we were sharing our happiness over this silly gas station convenience store. It's time for all of us to get a little happier in our relationships with each other and with God. Okay, now I really and truly know that visiting Bucky's doesn't rank anywhere close to God coming to Earth, just so you know. You do not have to have an intervention with me to tell me what's more important in life. I get it, I know. God coming to Earth is way more important. But uh, when I left Bucky's that day, I decided I wanted to buy something. Uh, the marketers they sucked me in, basically, these who work in marketing, it worked. It does work. But I decided I wanted to buy something because I wanted to remember my time at Bucky's, and uh, I ever wanted to remember with a chuckle the trip that we had together. But secondarily and actually most important in my mind was I wanted to have a reminder of A prayer reminder to pray for Pastor Hayden and Kayla. So I bought myself a nightshirt with Bucky's sweet little face on it. I bought myself a nightshirt so that when I pulled it out, and it's a nightshirt, mind you, no way am I ever wearing this anywhere, well, for a variety of reasons, actually, not the least of which are the armholes, but, okay, but, you know, I'm not sure that I need this, not in California. Although you'd be surprised how many people were wearing Bucky's gear all over Texas. Once you go there, you see everybody wearing it. So this is my reminder to pray for Pastor Hayden and Kayla and the team who is going to Hill Country. And you know what? They're actually doing our whole outline. God came to earth. They want to talk to people about the amazing salvation we have. They want to get as many people as possible to have a relationship with him. They need our prayers. They're not going there to get bigger houses for a smaller price tag. They're going there to be missionaries. But I found that this is going to be a secondary reminder for me. Not only is it gonna remind me to pray for them when I decide to wear this to bed, but uh, it's going to remind me to do the things that today's message talked about, that that John has been shouting at us. I need to marvel that God came to earth. And I need to talk more about the salvation that I have. And I need to realize the blessing it is that I have a relationship with God and I have a relationship with you all. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I wanna thank you for our Bibles. First of all, I wanna thank you for this book of First John and all that I know that you're going to do in our lives. I thank you for this reminder and hopefully this chance for just a few minutes to ponder, you came to earth. You're God, and yet you became a human being for us. Thank you so much, Jesus. I know it was horrible. I know you had to put up with so much rotten stuff. Thank you. And God, I do pray that all of us would begin talking more even spontaneously about the fact that you came to save us. And Lord, we obviously wanna pray that more people would become real Christians, have a relationship with God, and become our siblings for eternity that that would be the result of us remembering that you came to earth. And uh, thank you so much, God, for saving us, those of us that are real Christians here. Thank you for opening our eyes to see our need for you and for pushing us over the edge and motivating us to surrender our lives to follow you. I pray that we would be different today because of that truth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. You are dismissed. (sighs) Mm-hmm. <sighs>